Welcome back to another episode of the Wild Edible World podcast. This week you're going to catch us red-handed. I'm your host, Michael, also known as the Mulberry Mike. And I am Silkworm Steve. This is episode Mulberry. Yes. Um, more specifically, it's going to be mostly about Morris Alba, the white mulberry, because the red mulberry is kind of rare. Don't find too many of those. Um, there's tons of native species, but yeah, the white mulberry is going to be the most widespread one. I'm sure we've all interacted with it at some point. Uh, we uh, actually just had we ate some earlier today. Uh, you'll, you'll see the streets stained with the fruit, and uh, it's giant purple and delicious. Yeah, very eye catching, um, and it's just everywhere, man. Yeah, totally. There's everywhere. a there's a good chance that uh, if you're a homeowner, or even have done any land maintenance, you you've you know dug up a couple mulberry trees because they spread so prolifically. Yeah, around here in the Chicago area, um, they are truly sprouting up on every single corner. Every street corner, just about every yard, and even whenever you chop them down, they're going to be sending up suckers from those stumps. So, uh, yeah, they're all over the place. Um, so we'll start with the most recognizable feature of them, which is the fruit. Uh, everybody is pretty familiar with the fruit. A lot of people don't like the fruit because of how much it stains sidewalks and shoes and stuff like that. But it's this, uh, it's this plump purple fruit. It starts out white, and then it uh, matures into a red, and then finally fully ripe is a purple. Uh, and it looks like an aggregate fruit, like a raspberry, or a, it looks like kind of like a blackberry. Um, but they are actually two separate fruits. Uh, and that, that, that's based on how they flower. So uh, technically, the mulberry is called a multiple fruit instead of uh, something like a uh, raspberry, which would be considered an aggregate fruit. Um, so what makes it a mul mul multiple fruit is the fact that whenever it flowers, it actually, actually has like several flowers packed together on a single stem. You mentioned it looked kind of like a fuzzy caterpillar. Yeah. And it, yeah. it really does. I, I'd never thought about that. But you can see them. They're like these almost, like, yeah, just fuzzy caterpillars hanging, hanging from the leaves. Um, so whenever they fruit and it, the fruit starts developing on those flowers, every single one of those little flowers becomes an individual fruit. And as it grows and expands, you have this cluster of actually in individual fruits upon this stem. Um, and they're really tasty sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> so they're they're kind of I, I would say a lot of people are on the fence about them because I've definitely had super delicious mulberries, but then I've also had very bland mulberries. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Like the ones that stay white whenever they mature and mm -hmm. then whenever they're like fully, fully ripe, they are just like they have just touches of pink on them, mm -hmm. but they're still white. Those are some of the most like bland berries I've ever eaten in my life. Sure. Um but yeah, likewise I've had some super, super delicious ones too. Um it's there's a little bit of debate on like why that is and a lot of it has to do with they think like soil um properties um sure. probably environmental factors like how much sun um mm -hmm. so unless, and do you have anything else to say about the fruit uh i mean just I, I i like it i'm a fan i think it's something that's readily available and it's 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 just about everywhere and it's just you know how, how you treat it so uh we had a snack a little bit ago when we were grabbing our coffee um I call it a uh, mulberry cheesecake panini. So it was just something I threw together as we, uh, as I was getting ready for for this recording. And man, I think it turned out pretty darn good. It was amazing. Um, in the second half of this episode, we'll have to talk about how you made it, and mm -hmm. we'll talk about how how freaking delicious it was. Yeah, it was, I'll post some pictures as well. I'll, yeah. I'll throw that in the Discord and then also on Insta. Definitely, definitely. 
Um, so moving on, just like give a little bit more visual descriptors of this plant um, and some more of the, some other recogni super recognizable features of it. The white mulberry and the mulberry family in general has um, multiple leaf shapes on a single tree. So you'll find your normal, uh, I guess what quote unquote normal leaf where it's just kind of a spade shape. It's got uh, teeth on the edges. It's very normal looking leaf, but um, the identifying part is uh, as well, like on the same branch towards the ends, you'll have these other leaves that look completely different. And so they'll have anywhere between like two to three lobes on them. So they have these like almost chicken feet look. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's actually, if you uh, are familiar with figs, it looks like a fig leaf, very similar to a fig leaf because they are related actually. So, um, and I'll talk a little bit about how to differentiate between the white mulberry and the red mulberry. Um, so again, red mulberry is pretty rare. If you've eaten a mulberry before um, in the wild, nine times out of 10, it's going to have been a white mulberry, no matter how delicious it was. So the big difference is the uh, shininess of the leaf and the size of the leaf as well. So white mulberries will be shiny and smooth and anywhere between, uh, I believe it's like three to seven inches, and red mulberries will be rougher feeling, and they won't be shiny, but they will be bigger. You'll have bigger leaves ranging from five to nine inches. So there's quite a noticeable difference in the size of the leaves, and that's gonna be a pretty big uh, identifying factor. There's also differences in the color of the bark. So white mulberry will have like colorful, it'll be orange colors in the bark, whereas uh, red mulberry is one solid color through the, uh, on the on the entire surface. So we'll talk a little bit about how to collect the mulberry. Mm -hmm. I think um, obviously you have your standard hand practice, you know, classic ape style. Yeah, just grabbing <laughs> with these great fingers that we're made with. Um, I've seen people lay a tarp. Absolutely, yeah. Shake the tree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're only going to get like the most ripe ones. Sometimes that's what people prefer is like this, this really sweet berry flavor. Uh, personally, I like the slightly red ones, just mm -hmm. a little bit of tartness left in them. Sure. And you're only probably only going to get those by collecting with hand. But yeah, I think the most preferred method is shaking with a tarp underneath. Yeah, it takes a while with, with hands because it's, I mean, some of them, I mean, they, they ripen at different, different times and different, uh, you know, so it's, it's not like you can go up and grab a cluster like you can with, uh, June berries most of the time. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's and yeah, I think that's definitely one of the my preferred ways. How many berries did you collect to make um, the meal, the snack we had earlier? I had probably a full cup, a full cup of berries, yeah. uh, a couple and, handfuls, probably. Yeah, exactly. Then, like... Yeah, yeah, and it, it only, I mean, it only took a couple minutes, but um, yeah. yeah. Probably about a yeah, and they're so full of juice, and they have so many uh, little seeds in them that are not—they're not hard or difficult to chew on at all. Yeah. So, um, just you know, a couple handfuls, quite and a lot even of berry. that center stem or uh, stalk yeah. that it comes from is just—I mean, it's not soft a hindrance at all. No, yeah. and it's not even bitter; it doesn't have any flavor. Sure, it's edible, so it's non-toxic as well. So for sure, uh, it definitely requires some of the least amount of preparation as far as berries go. Um, I've been asked before about the little bugs that are found in the fruit. And, you know, as listeners of a wild food podcast, I can imagine uh, a lot of people might be similar to myself. A lot of listeners might be similar to myself, where it's kind of a little, kind of a disregard 
for the sure. the tiny tiny insect. I mean, the, you, you're just not going to be able to avoid it sometimes. Mm -hmm. However, uh, you know, I will still answer that question. If you are trying to get rid of them, you can submerge the berries in water. You know, just like get a small plate or something that'll help hold them all down. And those little critter, critters will come out of the fruit, and most of them should collect on the surface. And yeah, you can same, kind of collect same way that. you would uh, wash your produce from the grocery store, maybe with a little bit of vinegar or something, like a splash definitely. in yeah. a bowl or something. And that will definitely get rid of it. Otherwise, insects are 90% protein, so. Yeah. Yeah, and they're not bad. <laughs> they're, they're, not, they're, they're so unnoticeable, you know. I don't even think about when I, brought, I eat mulberries. It's not worth the time or the effort, in my opinion. Yeah, we talked a little bit about how, how prolific these things are. Um, and, you know, so mulberries can either be male trees, female trees, or both. So maybe it's just that versatility. So the, the flowers that come on the tree, they, I mean, the reason why they're so plentiful is because most, you know, they have to, they have to fer uh, pollinate each other. Wow, um, yeah. And then also can pollinate themselves. <laughs> so, yeah, amazing. Yeah. It's a pretty versatile tree. I mean, that's par part of why it's so successful. It yeah. has just so many ways of... Uh, reproducing like that. That's really cool. And the uh, the stamen from the white mulberry acts as a catapult and can catapult the pollen at uh, greater than half the speed of sound. So That's insane. Like uh, a jet. Exactly. 380 miles per hour uh, mulberry pollen flying at you. <laughs> That's no, no wonder I'm sneezing because it's basically just punching me in the face Absolutely. at 300 miles per hour. Punch in the face of Holy pollen. moly. That's so fast. I wonder, I, wonder, I wonder if that's one of the fastest moving objects in nature. It's got to be like pretty up there. Yeah, I thought know? I thought that was fascinating, and I can I can't stop like imagining like little like trebuchets, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> catapults. Yeah, little catapults of pollen. Trebuchet. I suppose that's a more the more science, the historical term. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the nutrition. Like, what what kind of? Yeah, there's uh, so they're just they're. Packed. I, I actually have the nutrition for the leaves, uh, which are uh, not as widely known edible. Okay. Um, so you can use the leaves of uh, mulberry. They are packed with polyphenol antioxidants, uh, vitamin C, uh, calcium, zinc, iron, potassium, phosphorus, magnesium. So they're just... Wow. That's just in the leaves. That's just in the leaves. Wow. Uh, they do say that the younger leaves are preferred if you're going to eat them, you know, like saute them and eat them okay. uh, most often. Uh, so in Korea, they, they dry the leaves and use them for tea. Uh, they say to dry or, uh, you know, and use them like a tea or a tincture or something of that, uh, that nature. That's the best way to extract the beneficial stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I've tried mulberry leaves young, raw. And it was kind of an unpleasant experience. They didn't taste bad. It was more of like the whole textural experience was like wacky. Like it, they, whenever I chewed them, and maybe they weren't young as young as I thought. Sure. Uh, but it kind of like turned to like sand in my mouth. It was like yeah. really difficult to get like, I, it was difficult to swallow. It was difficult to get them out. And then, of course, after doing a little bit of reading, it's not advised to eat them raw. Because um, no. they do have like a small amount of like latex in them, yeah, which latex. can like be difficult for some people. But, um, you know, I didn't. Obviously, I, I wasn't poisoned or anything. If you nibble on a couple of them, it's not going to kill you. Yeah, it's more of an uncomfortable thing, just because our bodies don't really uh, process latex well. Sure, yeah. yeah. So it does require some like preparation, boiling or cooking in some Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Okay. Well, great. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, as always, thanks for putting up with the ads. Um, 
we love you guys, and we hope you enjoy the tunes. Thanks always to Brett Westcott for making our amazing music that you're going to hear in just a few seconds. We'll be back in a few. for putting up with those silly ads that we record but you love them yeah uh and we have some more nutritional stuff on mulberries mike's gonna hit you with the berries yeah definitely i mean if you uh enjoy a little bit of uh relaxing aesthetic we've definitely brought the storm here with us to the recording today we're recording outside and um hope you enjoy the sound so as far as the nutritional information for the berries themselves um we have this measured in about 10 berries so for every 10 berries, um, that are, we're rounding that around to like 15 grams. So that's going to bring you six calories. Less than, uh, it's like 0.1 gram of fat, two, gram, two milligrams of uh, sodium, then 29 milligrams of potassium, and one and a half grams of carbs, 1.2 grams of sugar, and it also provides you your 9% of your daily vitamin C. Um, that's all just, again, in 10 berries. So these berries are around 88% water. However, um, they still have, uh, they're still known as like a super fruit for the amount of concentration of the vitamins and stuff in them. And uh, they have really great amount of pectin in them actually already. So it'd be good for canning for those of you like myself that prefer minimalistic canning, adding as little as possible to your stuff. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And then there's also a good amount of medicinal properties. Yeah. Um, Reduces cholesterol, uh, obesity. I'm 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 thinking of maybe it's fiber. Uh, that it is a low sugar yep. uh, plant. Um, can reduce oxidative stress hmm. and inflammation. So that's got to be uh, antioxidants. I would assume some polyphenols, something along something along those lines that are getting rid of those darn free radicals. Yeah, yeah, and so that low, that is thought to lower rates for cancer as well, so kind of anti-cancer properties. And it's cool. good for the lungs. Good for the lungs, too, yeah. I, I saw that. Good for the lungs. Uh, and that's it, got something to do with, yeah, more antimicrobial and just, like, antibacterial properties from, like, the amount of vitamin C and vitamins sure, and stuff. Sure, the pectin as well? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, I guess we'll talk about other ways, oh, I guess the history of this plant, too, because, yes. I mean, it didn't always grow here. There are species that grow here, of course, but the white um, mulberry itself has a really interesting long history um, in China, especially long use in Asian countries for food, medicine. There's lots of, uh, like, in ancient Chinese culture, you, you would plant, they would intentionally plant the mulberry tree around their houses um, because it, the branches were really eat, good for making bowls and other like small furniture and tools and stuff. But the uh, old poems would refer to mulberry tree, and that was actually kind of code for home because like home always had a mulberry tree because the fruit is delicious, the branches are really useful, you use the leaves for tea, 
Um, the wood itself is actually pretty useful. Um, I, I don't have any research on that, but I know that like it's, it's good wood. I actually saw a cutting uh, while I was doing research on this. Ooh, a little bit of thunder. Um, <laughs> while I was doing research on this, and it, like a cross section, like a, a slice of a mulberry tree. Yeah. And it was, it was, uh, you know, beautiful. It was light colored rings on the outside, and then a dark wood on the inside. Mm. So I've, I'd never seen that before. It was pretty. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, hit us with that silk. Yeah, so that that's one of the cool parts about its history in China is that um, it's the uh, the exclusive plant that silkworms feed off of. Um, I think they have other food that they can eat. They just love the white mulberry leaves the most. So that's actually where most of its use uh, has been developed from back in the day during like the Silk Road. It was called the Silk Road because China was the only place that made silk. And it was actually really, they kept that a secret for just uh, I'm not sure the actual numbers, but they kept it a secret for a long time. The Silk Road was an important trade route uh, for centuries, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Marco Polo and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they were able to keep a secret that they were able to farm these silkworms off of white mulberry trees. And they were the only place in the world that was able to develop silk in the quantities that they did way back in the day. And, you know, and, and my personal passions and history, like that has a lot to do with the history of silk screen printing. Um, which is why, you know, some of the just there's always been such beautiful textiles and silk robes out of China and everything. They, they had that reputation back then. Um, but, yeah, I thought that was really interesting, like super well-kept secret back in the day before, uh, you know, before secrets just were everywhere. It's fascinating, man. Yeah. Super fascinating. There, there was also a history of like the Romans bringing it to Britain, too. You mm -hmm. know, so it, it, this this plant is at this moment, I think, all over the world. So it's a really common plant to find just about everywhere. I think that's a pretty safe bet. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, again, does vary in flavor, and there are tons of subspecies, and they're actually hybridizing with the native species here in the U.S. too. Mm -hmm. So it's getting harder and harder to find the uh, uh, Morbus Morus ruba, excuse me, Morus ruba, which is the, one of the native species. But harder and harder to find those because they are uh, loving this place. <laughs> they love they love spreading <laughs> everywhere. It's impossible to stop them. So. Um, Next, we'll work on, uh, we'll talk about like some of the ways we've used it, right? So uh, yeah. t tell us about that recipe that you actually did today that like, how did you process so the fruit? I had like 30 minutes before I was getting ready to leave the house to meet you uh, at 10 Drops Coffee in Plainfield. Delicious coffee. Amazing go coffee. there, go there. Um, but so I had ha a full cup of mulberries. I probably threw half of a teaspoon of sugar in the raw just to get those berries macerating, kind of uh, smushed them up a little bit with a fork and let those sit while I prepped the rest. I had two like demi baguettes that I uh, took out some of the insides to make room for this delicious filling. Uh, and then I took maybe a quarter cup of cream cheese, a tablespoon of sour cream, a drop of some vanilla bourbon, um, and then uh, whipped all that together. Maybe, maybe like half a teaspoon of powdered sugar in the cream cheese mixture. Love it. And then hit the, hit the demi baguette with Cream cheese, it's supposed to be, so like a faux cheesecake, almost. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so hit the dummy baguette with the, with the cream cheese, hit it with the mulberries, put the lid on it, and then uh, in a cast iron pan, I used my uh, tea kettle to weight it down um, to make it more of like a panini, and that's why I called it the uh, mulberry cheesecake panini, and it was phenomenal. Sublime. A little bit of butter to toast uh, to toast that bread and stuff. So so good. Yeah. So good. 
Yeah, most of the time I've just eaten it raw. Um, I have baked it into like a like a, a wild fruit galette. Mm. So it's just kind of like an open open face pie kind of deal. Sure. Um, super va- uh, variable uses in this in this plant and the berry. Uh, have you ever eaten them dried? No. So drying them is a really really popular way to eat them, and that's actually something that you can find in markets pretty commonly, and they're you know pretty overpriced. But uh, I'm sure. <laughs> pretty easy to make them yourself. You can find this place, uh, these trees all over the place. Um, I know, like behind churches or um, business districts. I, I think they are getting less popular in more commercial areas. People aren't in- intentionally planting them as much because they do create kind of a mess. But they're super fast growing trees, um, and they actually don't live that long either. Um, they only they have a lifespan similar to humans, really. So average about fifty to seventy five. Wow. Really don't get old at all. I didn't know they were that short of a lifespan. Yeah. Because they get pretty big. I think I saw, like, uh, on average, a full-grown tree is per- in between 33 and 66 feet. Wow. So that's pretty dark. It is pretty big. They're so fast-growing. Yeah. yeah. For, for how short-lived they are, I, I've definitely seen some that tower. And there are some records of mulberries being as old as, like, 150 or whatever. Sure. You know, they can yeah. can get that old. It's just not that common. And then just some other uses for mulberries. We ran into uh, Mayor John Argadellis, the mayor oh, yeah. of Plainfield, uh, while we were at Ten Drops, and he shared this little fun fact. So it was a like a common uh, pattern that if you had like cherry t- trees on your property and you wanted to protect them from uh, birds, from squirrels, things of that nature, you would also grow a mulberry tree because it's the more sought after fruit by wildlife uh and you and i were kind of bouncing ideas back off of each other like rationalizing that and it makes sense because if it's you know uh, a heavily seeded fruit mm-hmm. um from each one of those little florets uh then it's probably more nutritionally dense rather than trying to eat the flesh off of a cherry and then uh, you know that pit just ultimately falls to the ground you're going to get more uh nutritional content and density from like a heavily seeded fruit. Yeah, so. and it's more uh, energy efficient for the bird as well. So it can so just somebody, gobble it up. So if somebody's eating your cherries, uh, maybe get a little mulberry bush going. Yeah, and I imagine that would kind of be the case with uh, just about any fruit, maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it seems like, that's, I thought that was a really, really interesting idea, like planting these trees, maybe try and find a native species or something like that instead of continuing the spread of the, <laughs> uh, I guess, I'm not sure if it's classified as an invasive, but it's it's super aggressive and it, it's it's hybridizing and yeah, so I would I would classify it as that. Absolutely, and I'm and I'm sure you can. I mean, there's all sorts of nurseries uh, that 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 you can hit up for that kind of thing. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Native plant nurseries always always want to plug those. So yeah, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, I hope you guys learned a few things. We sh- we certainly did. Um, just researching this episode a little bit. Uh, definitely recommend you guys go out and try the try and eat some of these berries off of these trees. Yeah, there's so many. So underrated, and there's so many of them. It, 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 it's a shame when I hear people say they don't like them. Obviously, everybody's got their own palate. Um, I'm not going to judge them for that, but uh, it's like, oh, just just give it another try. You, I'm sure you just got to try a different tree, and you'll probably like that. Or like doctor it up a little bit like I did. Add a, add a, add a of course. Little, I don't have a sweet tooth at all, zero. Yeah. I'm more of a salty uh, palate guy. So... Uh, I just I just sweetened it a little bit just to give it a little bit of zip. Yeah. Uh, some lemon juice maybe. Exactly. Yeah. Just try it in different ways. Maybe make some kombucha. That sounds good. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking actually. Um, I'm, I have plans this weekend to uh, grab some mulberries and some mint that I found growing, make a little soda. Heck yeah. So definitely. I, I, I plan on using this plant for the rest of my life, and I hope you guys consider that too after this episode. 
So thanks for joining us for another wonderful episode of the Wild Edible World podcast, and we'll see you next time. It's been a fun hanging out. Thank <laughs> you.